This is episode number 337. How to change the way you react to things with Sigal Barnes. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. The first announcement being is in regard to our 12-week program called Curiosity, the key to rewriting your story. What this is is a program that we've developed for many of our listeners and people that interact with our work in order to help people rewrite the story of their past, the story of the present, or the story of their future, the story of the challenges, the hardships they've encountered, and ultimately create the story of their hopes and wildest aspirations. During the 12 weeks, you will learn how to use curiosity to let go of shame, find new ways to extract lessons from your story, develop a habit of curiosity for constant learning, create a personal narrative you like and believe in, define and foster a positive self-image, strengthen the connection with yourself and others, form an emotional connection with your story, shift from judgment to curiosity, and discover the elements to becoming an active listener. If you'd like to know more details regarding this particular program, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find more details. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our show, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our work by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, it's always funny to me whenever things like that happen. Even in situations I'm finding, and I don't know if it's true for you, but when you try to prepare for everything that you are quote-unquote bound to encounter, right, like every gain, pain, text message, phone call, still somehow one gets through. And I yeah. never fully understood that. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> it's I just so spent true. 30 minutes preparing, right? Like, put the phone on, do not disturb, did this. And somehow the message gets through. And I, I don't know. I feel like I that's found that um, loss of understanding. Yeah, I found that actually. Uh, so I'm a big planner. I'd love to plan for like things that that might happen and make sure that I kind of make sure nothing bad happens. But I've found that obviously things happen that you can't anticipate. And so instead, what I've tried to start doing in addition to not instead, but in addition to is I start to try to train myself on how to calmly react and handle when things inevitably don't go the way you plan. And how do I prepare myself to, or coach myself to better handle those situations? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a component that oftentimes gets forgotten, at least in my opinion, is the fact that we still have a choice in how we react to the circumstances. Uh, a friend of mine, he gave me this bracelet and it's called, uh, it's just information. I literally look at it, I don't know how many times over the course of the day, 
but with every single piece of information surrounding me, that's the, it, for me, it's a perfect reminder. Oh, it's just I information, right? Someone gets mad at you. It, it's just information. I mean, it really is. And I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine and he was describing me a situation where he pulled into a gas station and then this lady just kind of exploded on him for taking her spot or whatever the circumstance was. And I said, it's just information. It's like, no, she was in my spot. She exploded on me, but I said, you still had a choice. You still had a choice in how you responded. Absolutely. Yeah. I like to react the way that you did. Right. It's true. And, and looking at it as just information um, that can create uh, a learning opportunity for you moving forward is really what growth mindset is about. Right. Instead of just really thinking, oh, this is like a terrible thing that happened or, oh, this is something that uh, is unfair or, you know, what a terrible way to start my day. Like, this is just information. Thank you so much for this information so that mm-hmm. I can digest it and learn from it moving forward. So being thankful for the the things that are happening to you versus uh, being resistant to them. Mm-hmm. When did that click for you? When did it make sense for you the way that it does today? I think it's still a work in progress. I don't think, (laughs) I don't think that I can, I practice it all the time as much as I would like. Um, But I think that it started to click for me the most. Um, First, actually, when I started uh, managing others, I think that was a really important part because when you manage others, there's all these nuances about, um, you know, when things go wrong or not as you expect, or people aren't doing things that the way, the way that you're doing them, you, I had a tendency anyway, I don't want to generalize, but I had a tendency to be like, well, why didn't you think of this? Or, you know, you should do it this way. Or, you know, um, we've talked about this, how did it still happen? Um, and then over time, if I started to look at it as more, um, being open to the information and seeing it as a larger focus versus a narrow focus through my lens, I started to learn things that I didn't actually, uh, wouldn't have otherwise learned before. And that really was um, impactful for me because I was like, wow, if I just took a step, pause, didn't react, didn't start to filter things through my own thinking and started to open and widen my understanding of things, I learned so much more that way. And I actually got better at the things that I did also, what a great relationship you can start to have with people when you give them the space to, to, to do things their own way. So that was the first step. And then the second step was when I had kids, right? Uh, when I had kids, uh, it takes a lot of patience and understanding um, when they <laughs> I'm laughing want... from the kid's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of patience and understanding. Um, and what you realize is um, the more that you allow the kids to do things at their own pace, do things their own way. Uh, They learn how to do things. They become more independent. Um, And again, uh, what a learning experience for me, because I get to sit back and really watch their learning process and uh, marvel at the way that, you know, kids learn and the way that they think. Um, And, you know, once in a while, of course, guide them, but really taking like, even just something like putting on your shirt, like, I'll be waking up in the morning and saying, all right, we got to go. The bus is coming. Like, let's get ready. And it'll take like 15 minutes to put on a shirt. And I would sit there and, you know, in any other situation, I'd be like, all right, like, let me just do it for you. Right. Um, But no, taking in the information, understanding that them struggling to put on their shirt over time helps them understand how to put on a shirt. And the long-term goal here is for them to do things on their own. And so taking that time, whether that means 
me waking up earlier and me taking more time so that we're not on a tighter schedule to allow them for that so that they know when you put on a shirt this way, oh, you know what, I'm going to have to do this with my hand. Or if I put on the shirt this way and, and giving them the, the ability to have those dis- different circumstances of putting on the shirt. So they know every way to tackle putting on a shirt. And that really is reflective of anything. I mean, you can use that as an analogy for anything for us in life. So mm-hmm. that was a very long way for me to explain to you how, when, <laughs> when those things clicked. So I apologize for the rant. Do you think part of that is that discipline, having the discipline to take a step back and not to react and, and let it develop and form like it's supposed to? I mean, even witnessing someone put on a shirt, I'm laughing because I'm sure I was that kid once upon a time who tried to put both hands through one hole and really there were two holes for two hands. <laughs> yep. Or I would try and do it backwards, like, you know, go from top top to bottom so put my feet through the neck hole so I, I probably have done all those things and I'm wondering from kind of your lens what ultimately contributes to being able to create that space where you can take a step back to process and make the decision that you do in how you're going to react is that discipline is there more to that I think it's a practice right I think it's one of those things that once you are aware Um, and you're able to understand what that looks like, you have to practice it as much as possible. Do you control your breath throughout this whole process? Like, what do you do? Um, I think that it's um, taking a pause. Breath is a huge part for sure. Um, Taking a pause, not being so reactive to everything that's going on, but instead taking a pause and being like, oh, here's that opportunity. But you have to take the pause to have that thought, right? Of Oh, here's that opportunity. So... It's taking a pause. If that pause requires a breath, which I feel like breathing is always a great practice. So taking that breath, reminding yourself, here's that opportunity, and then allowing that to happen. And I think the more and more you practice that, whether it's just the pause first, right? Like, Mm. oh, let me just pause every single time and starting that practice, that micro step first. And then, okay, let me pause and breathe. Okay, now that I've mastered the habit of pausing and breathing, how, what's my thinking? What's, what's the thought I want to have? And then practicing that until you have this like step that you've mastered and you're practicing all the time. That's so beautifully said, because I I've actually been trying to understand what is awareness at the end of the day. Right. Victor Frankl. I don't know if you've read his book, man's search for meaning. Mm -mm. Fascinating book. It's essentially talking about his own story of going through Holocaust and different ways he was able to find humor and make sense out of create meaning out of the challenging events that he experienced. But one of the points that he makes throughout the book is this point about awareness. And this, the, in simple words, he said, it's just a space. It's space in your head before you make a decision after you receive information. Yes. And I just thought it's so profound because it's true. There is that space. There is that opportunity to pause and how you just described it taking the the moment to pause, to breathe, and then to become aware of the thoughts. I mean, that in a nutshell is what it means to be aware. That is awareness in simple terms. I I love that. I've never read that, but that's awesome. (laughs) I've overcomplicated awareness for so many years. I thought I had to do this. I had thought I had to do that. And, And I mean, to as a way to, I guess, acknowledge our own progress. None of this happens overnight, right? Like you mentioned, it's a practice. It's a practice to develop one step 
it's a practice to know that there's going to be another step. It's a practice to know that there's going to be a step beyond that. And there's probably even a step beyond the three that we just mentioned, right? Sure. Absolutely. Because once you, once you have the thought, then you have to actually practice the thought, right? You have to actually say, okay, I recognize that I want to take a step back now. Now I have to actually take a step back regardless of the circumstances, because sometimes it's not so convenient. Right? Why do you think there are times in, in maybe part of it has to do with the fact that at least my belief is that we're imperfect beings living in an imperfect world. Why do you think there are times when we do react in ways that we wished had not. I mean, again, I can, I, I try not to overgeneralize, so I can only speak to myself, but, uh, for a very long time, I didn't want to make mistakes. Right. So I, and I, and I try, I actually was told this saying once, um, I don't remember who told it to me. I don't know if it was my dad or someone else that was pivotal when I was growing up, but they said, um, Smart people learn from their mistakes. Wise people learn from other people's mistakes. Mm. Beautiful thing, right? <laughs> so I took that and was like, I'm going to learn from everyone else's mistakes and I will never make a mistake myself. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, I'm going to help other people never make mistakes either. And as I got older and as I got wiser and as I got, I started to read more and educate myself, I realized mistakes are integral to our ability to do things better and to learn. Um, and so I think, for me, um, for a very long time, I thought that if I could just learn from other people's mistakes and then pass on that knowledge to other people, um, mis I can eliminate mistakes and therefore life would be that much easier, uh, which is not a realistic or sustainable way to live. Mm -hmm. I, I would say I'm somewhat at a relative point. I have given myself a lot of grace over the fact that I mistakes are just part of the journey. And I think a lot of it also has to do with, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on this, but also redefining what it means to even make a mistake, right? I think that there is this concept of failure, like go big or go home or go big or you fail. I don't personally subscribe to it because I look at it through the lens of, I don't believe I ever failed. What I have done is I've learned. I've experienced, I've gone. It's just through. information. It's just information, right? And you get to choose what you do with it and how you react to it. And I remember times for a number of years when I subscribed to the concept of failure as you did something wrong, you should have done something better. And just the impact that has. I mean, that impacted my self-confidence, self-esteem, self-worth made me feel insignificant and ultimately that at least in through my eyes those are not the great ingredients to move forward with no they're not yeah. going to flip the script and change your circumstances in fact what what i've observed they do is they make you go even deeper and deeper and deeper there is no opportunity to go uphill yeah i think the feel the 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 fear of failure for me was always twofold. It was um, what other people would think about me if I failed and really caring about other people's uh, opinions of me. And then also, um, was this failure a reflection of my value as a human being, like as a person and my abilities to succeed? And I think it took a lot of time and work. And again, still a work in progress, always will be a work in progress. But um, 
you have to kind of before before even this whole go big, go home, you know, thing, you, you have to take a step back and reflect and say to yourself, you know, why am I fearful? Is it because of like what people think for me? I was like, is it it's because people I care about what people think about me? Why do I care about what people think about me? Well, you know, I for a very long time, it, I kind of at least some of my value was put on what people think about me, whether that was at school, you have to think about me a certain way so I get a good grade, right? You have to think I'm really good at something so I can get into this 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 school in general, right? Um, I want to care about what people think of me because it went all open opportunities for me. And if, if they don't like me, then I might not get at that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to really kind of deconstruct that and say people's perspective, although information that's important to know and take in, um, is not a determination of my value. And then also, um, if I make a mistake at something, it does not mean that I'm bad at it. It does not It does not reflect on this specific ability as a whole. It's just one mistake, right? It's one, one thing. And so when we think about, or at least when I'm thinking about reflecting on or, or taking a risk on something, I first have to pause, breathe, mm-hmm. remember that these are two things that might inform the way that I think and deconstruct it again before I, I take that risk. I'm still learning the lesson of choosing to sleep on it. So such a good lesson. This, there's a lot of power in that. Totally. Especially during some of those decisions that are just big decisions, emotionally involved. I'm, st- I'm in the process, literally chapter one, page one, learning that as we speak, choosing to sleep on it before I choose to react. But I, I kid you not, it, it literally changes the way that I view life or even approach it the following morning. Yes. Yes. And and I'll just add, because it's an and sleeping on it. Um, and also if you wake up during sleep and start ruminating on something, like nothing should be decided in those moments. Mm-hmm. So if you're anything like me where there are times where I'll wake up in the middle of the night, let's say my son has to go to the bathroom or something like that. And then I can't go back to sleep. And then my brain starts working. Um, there are times where I can start thinking about things I need to do or things that, you know, conversations that I've had. And I have to remind myself, there is nothing good that can come from in the middle of the night thought process about important things in life. So sleep on it. But if you're in the middle of the night, uh, continue to sleep on it. Don't, <laughs> don't make decisions in that weird, you know, moment, those twilight moments. And if you wake up thinking about it, go back to sleep, go back to sleep <laughs> or write it down. One of the things that I found is really helpful for me. If I can't get like a thought out of my head is I have a pad and paper near my bed and I'll write it down and say, okay, it's there. You can handle it now. You won't forget about it. Now I, it's like an easier way for me to let it go. Mm-hmm. That has been actually a pretty transformative process for me as well. Just I try, I don't do it every single day. I do it as often as I, as I, I don't, I don't even know as I could or as I want to, whatever the filler word is, but just writing it down. Like I made the practice to just fill up one page every single time I choose to reflect. And I kid you not it literally transforms the outcome of my day or how I think about the day. So there's, I think there's something about it and I don't know what you might've discovered throughout your own process, but I found that in writing the thoughts down, even writing the thought of, I don't know what to write or I don't know what I'm writing about and just keep building one thought upon the other. It just changed. Something changes. 
like something changes in how I choose to react, how I choose to observe the circumstances. So once again, by no means an expert of what the concrete things behind journaling and reflecting are, but there's tremendous power. Yeah, I find it to be really helpful because it's like venting to yourself, right? We we need to vent to people sometimes. And sometimes we just say, I need to vent. I don't need anyone to solve these problems. I just need to get it out and then move on. Um, and sometimes we don't, you know, we don't have those people or we don't want to put that on people. So I think writing it down is really helpful because we're almost venting to ourselves and getting it out so we can move on. But um, Neil Gaiman, uh, he did a masterclass on storytelling. And one of the things that I just will never forget that he says, and I think it applies to this situation too, is he writes all of his ideas down. And he says, even if I never use them again, they're in this small notebook, which he kind of puts in his pocket. They're in this small notebook. And he's like, I think about them as a writing compost, right? You know, when you Mm. compost something over time, it kind of starts to grow. Um, I look at this as a writing compost. You write things down and over time, even if you never look at it again, that stuff grows into good things, right? It creates like a good compost for you to start growing from. So uh, that's how I look at journaling. Mm -hmm. It's really cool that you actually have a notepad by your bed to do this. How long ago did that start? Uh, it's, it's actually started when I, when I was in, I was talking to my therapist about like, I don't know why I keep waking up in the middle of the night with all these like thoughts and it's bothering me and I need to like sleep and it's, it's a problem. So I would say maybe about two years ago. Um, and she was like, you know, and, and this was actually a practice that she practiced. She said, you know what I do? Cause I have the same thing. Um, I do this, I put a notebook next to it and it really allows me to let it go. And, and then if I still think it's important in the morning, then I'll address it. But most of the time I don't. And so it was just a really practical piece of advice for my therapist that she used herself. And it's been really helping me ever since. Do you keep all of the previous days or all the previous thoughts? Yeah, it's I typically all in a book. rip my page out and then I just start with a blank page every time. Oh yeah. I mean, I have a, I I have a book. Sometimes I'll use a pad and paper if I can't find my book or it's somewhere that I just don't feel like going to get. Um, (laughs) But, but I'll always have something, but I like, I like using books because I, once in a while, I like to, to go back. I've, I've been writing journals since I was a kid. Um, I still have my first journal that I've ever written in. It's like, yeah, it's this like small little square with like little hearts on it and a little lock. And you can unlock it. And the first page has a little picture that I cut out from like my school picture of like this boy that I thought was really cute. And I wrote like, it's all <laughs> these like little writing. And over time I have journals after journals of like the evolution of that, of that writing. But yeah, I still have my first one. That is fascinating. Literally your whole journey right in front of you. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely gaps where I stopped writing here and there, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really cool. And so I, I like to put things in books because books are easier to save. Um, and I have a box. It's like the box that if there was ever a fire in the house, it'd be the box that I would save. Um, it's just everything, like all these drawings and stories and writings and journals that I've had over the, over the years. Now, was it your parents? I'm assuming that introduced you to the, what would you call that diary? It was a diary back then. Yeah. I honestly have no idea. My parents are both not writers. Um, not to say that they aren't, you know, able to write or anything like that, but I, uh, my dad introduced me to reading and fiction. So I, I guess I got to give him some props there, but I have no idea who introduced me to writing. I don't recall a situation in which, uh, anyone introduced me to it. I know that whenever I would go to a bookstore, the journal section would always like draw me in and, so, and I used to always, 
yeah, I just always wrote. I just, as far as I can remember from starting to write, I always loved to write things. So I love hearing the origin stories behind how certain things kind of got to the point that they are. And it's fascinating to hear some of the perspectives. People say, yes, it was my neighbor or my grandpa or my mom or my dad who actually introduced the thing to me. I remember at one time, this was three to four, maybe even longer than that. Five Christmases ago, my parents gifted me uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill mm. and it, another book that just- You're introducing started. me to so many great books. Yeah, <laughs> this is awesome. Transformed my mind because it allowed me to understand that you can think and grow rich from your thoughts alone. Mm. And that to me was real powerful. I think that was my first introduction to when I became aware of the power of one's thoughts, yeah. which really, I mean, at the end of the day, and I don't know who said it, Plato or whoever it was, but the fact that um, your thoughts at the end of the day are the most powerful things and maybe even the most real things yeah. about who you are. And I think that's the thing, going back to the point of reacting, that's the thing I used to forget or I wasn't aware of for a pretty significant portion of my life. And the beauty and the curse of the thoughts is A, you don't get to choose the thought you're having next. Sometimes it's negative thoughts. Sometimes it's positive thoughts. I'm finding that the more aware I become of the thoughts, a lot of the thoughts are negative thoughts. And that I mean negative thoughts about myself, but more so negative thoughts like, here's a worst case scenario. The world's ending. Yeah. You're going to end up here. Right. What's wrong with you? Yeah. And then I, I, I think you're that, not it's alone. It's not always the reality. And you're right. I think a lot of people experience that. Yeah, you're not alone. And, you know, depending on the person, it could be about the world, it could be about themselves, it could be about both. Um, one of the best books I've ever read, and I'm still rereading it, it's kind of one of those things where I, I always keep it in my back pocket, not in my actual back pocket, but I always have it around to refer back to as letting go. And I can't remember the, the name of the author offhand. But um, one of the things that I think is was really helpful for me was anytime that you have a negative thought, be a witness not an active participant. And mm -hmm. it's really goes back to what you were saying at the beginning, which is this is just information. How do you say, oh, well, that's interesting that I just thought this negative thought. Yeah. That's interesting information. Okay, good to know. Moving on. <laughs> or why would I feel that way? Let me, let me be critical for a moment. You know, let me play devil's advocate. So you're really just separating yourself from the thought, being a witness, taking it in as information, um, deciding to let it go or deciding to ask yourself, like, ultimately, what am I fearful of here? Mm -hmm. And how do I work through that versus just allowing thoughts to happen to me and being an active participant and not being able to remove myself from the thought? I don't know if you've studied this or read anything about this particular component, but I've oftentimes been curious, why does it appear that, at least in my case, and it seems like some other people, that there's a negative bias? There's a bias towards negativity. I mean, even with the thoughts, right? I, I don't know what your thoughts it's... are like or how you experience them. But for me, I mean, I think I was thinking about this the other day. I think positivity, at least for me, it truly is a practice. Like it doesn't come naturally to me, even though I know deep inside I can feel that, okay, I want to be kind. I want to give. I want to respect. But at the end of the day, that's a conscious effort that I have to make. The first thought is like negative thought, right? 
Yeah, don't I mean, door. don't be kind. Don't yeah, even, and, and I don't. That's what I've been trying to figure out. Like, and it seems to be true amongst many, many people. Why are we drawn? Why are we almost like hard hardwired, or some of us for for this and not the other? I I I, I will say that it, it's not my experience that everyone is hardwired that way. Um, for example, my mother is probably one of the most giving, like nice people I've ever met truly from the inside helps people without any, any desire to get anything back. I mean, to the point where I sometimes feel like people are taking advantage of her. Do you know what I mean? Um, but she doesn't care. She's like, I believe that this is what I should be doing. And she does not care. So I, to answer your question, I think that partly it's how we are raised who is our influences in life. And that doesn't mean that those people are bad people. It just means they experienced difficult things. And regardless of how much we try, we are subconsciously layering our own experiences onto our next generation, right? The byproduct. Right? Um, mm -hmm. we're the, yeah, we're the byproduct of that. Also, previous generation, I would, I would go so far as to say we are the most self-aware meaning the, the millennial generation and on uh, are the most self-aware generations to date. We have a lot more understanding of our thoughts, a lot more understanding of how experience shape us, a lot more understanding and education around psychology, a lot more acceptance about therapy and, and things of that nature. And so um, with every generation, things get better. But like, I think about my, my grandparents, my grandparents went through such difficult times, right? Arranged marriages that they didn't want to be in. Not to say that, you know, there are some arranged marriages in certain cultures that work, but in my experience, arranged marriages that they didn't want to be in, um, the Holocaust, things of that nature in which like bleed into generations and generations afterwards, because even if they're not talking about it so directly, it bleeds into the, into the wisdom that they're passing on to us. So for example, True. my grandmother, she got, she was, she was forced to marry at 16 years old in Tunisia, right? She, by the time she was in her twenties, she was getting divorced, moving to New York city, um, $200 in her pocket, four kids, you know, a, a dad that was, you know, a husband that was, or an ex-husband that was not involved and was driving taxis in Queens to, in order to support her family, right? So when it came to her advice to get married, to find the right person, all of this stuff for her, it was like, find someone that has money, find someone that has a good job, find someone that, you know, and so it was all of these very specific things she did not have, she did not have in her life, and she felt she was providing the good wisdom for it. But what I learned, and therefore like met my love of my life. And I think he's the most amazing husband ever is that it's not just, even though, you know, it's not just about money. It's not just about work, <laughs> right. Even though he has a good job and everything, but it's not just about that. Right. Like to me, it was about how do you be, how do you find someone that's supportive? How is it, how is it important to have someone that's a real partner in life that doesn't look at, you know, you have to do these specific things and I have to do these specific things that we're working together, that we're brainstorming together, what our life looks like. So it's how we were raised. It's the, it's the experiences of our elders that have been, had an impact on our lives. And then it's also the experiences that we have. Like, so you might've had, and I'm not trying to say that I know anything about your life, but you might've mm. had experiences where no one opened the door for you. And so therefore you didn't feel like it was necessary to open the door for other people. There are other people who experience that their entire lives and feel that that's a very kind gesture. Right. And so it's how we are raised and it's the experiences we have that I think really determine that self-talk. I look at my children, they have 
positive self-talk all the time. They're on, they're constantly positive. I don't think it's necessarily something we're born with. I think we were born positive for the most part. I just think that as we grow up, the experiences we have and like the experiences of the people that are providing that wisdom to us is what shapes our thinking. Yeah, shape who we become. I'm curious, there, there are two things that you mentioned that kind of piqued my interest. The first one is the people that we surround ourselves with. How do you react or what do you do in situations where, let's say, the people that you are surrounded with have been there for a very long time or a significant portion of your life? And there becomes a point where you know for a fact that either A, they're no longer serving you as far as the person that you're becoming, or you are no longer serving them. What do you do? Yeah, it's such a good question. And it's such a difficult one, depending on the person that you're talking about and how ingrained they are in your life, whether it's a friend or a family member or a spouse or whatever. But what I will say that I've learned is that very clear boundary setting is super important. And so if someone's not serving you anymore, um, it's important to communicate that in a way that's kind and gentle, but also in a way that really preserves your boundaries. So it's not an easy thing, but there is ways in which you can talk to people about those things. So for example, I had a friend, wonderful person, really nice, you know, all the things, but she wasn't serving me. She was very negative. Every conversation I had was negative. Uh, it was starting to wear on me and I was trying to be a really good friend, but it was, it was really tough. And so I started to say, look, you know, I value as a friend. However, there are a lot of things going on in my life in which like I need to be focusing on to better serve where I am right now. That doesn't mean I don't care for you, um, but I might not be spending as much time with you and that, and I, but I'd still love to preserve this part of our friendship, right? Like, and so, um, and that might hurt other people um, and you don't want to hurt other people, but you have to, you have to put boundaries for yourself, especially if it's affecting your own mental health or it's holding you back. Mm -hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean you keep, don't try, but if, if after a while you're certain that this person is not good for you in your life, you have to, you have to advocate for yourself, just how you would advocate for someone else. You have to advocate for yourself as well. Mm -hmm. So I hope that answers your question. And the second part of the question is, is that different with a significant other? Yeah. I don't think your husband. Yeah, no, I think that just like any relationship, you have to have those conversations. And I think when you share a life with someone in that way, um, setting expectations of how you want to work through things um, at the very beginning is super important. So my husband and I do check-ins, like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Like, how do you think like I'm doing as a partner? Like, what can I be doing to help you more? Um, what are your goals? Like, and how can I help you get there? And like, here are my goals and how I'm feeling like I'm struggling. It's just like, you hear all of these leadership, um, conversations in business where they have these weekly coachings, like with their people, <laughs> right. Where they talk That's about true. their goals and how they're doing. We should be doing the same thing in our lives with the, like our, our family is our business. Our family is our goal, right? Like we have to be checking in weekly, checking in on not only like our goals and how we want to professionally grow and how we're feeling, but also like financially, where are we like, let's do like the, let's do the sheets. Let's like do the, 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 the forecast. Let's understand where we are. What do we want to spend on? What spend on? What do we not want to spend on? I mean, these are just important parts of having good relationships with people. And that check-in is important. They say that communication is the most important thing in marriage. Well, this is what communication looks like, right? Like 
it doesn't mean just communicating when things go wrong. It means communicating when things go right, being very recognizing when someone's doing great things for you. Hey, thanks so much for helping me out on X, Y, and Z, you know, or, Hey, you look great today. Or, Hey, I was really proud of you when you did that presentation. Like I was talking to all my friends about it, like that recognition when things go right, the discussions about when things go wrong, but then also just discussions about how we want to communicate. Like, Hey, I really enjoy when you talk to me like this. I don't love when you talk to me like that. I don't like this word always throws me the wrong way. You got to just be clear with each other. We can't read each other's minds the incredible amount of self-talk that we have in our heads and how we interpret things are so different from how other people can interpret that situation. So as much as we can say it out loud so that we're aligned and we're not just both thinking things that are totally different, like the better those relationships can be. Call it the New York Times bestseller constantly that's being written in my head. All the assumptions like they must be thinking about this or how did this person not know what I was thinking at the end of the day? I mean, even for me asking that question, it's really funny to try and answer. It's like, well, how could they know what you're thinking, right? How could they know what you're about to say when really they're not in your mind? They're not you. They haven't had the experiences that you've had. And they don't maybe have the same exact ability to communicate, not necessarily better or worse, but I mean, we all communicate differently. And that was going to be another thing that I ask, or I'm curious to hear your perspective. And that's, what do you think makes communication difficult? from time to time. It's being direct and honest about what you're actually feeling. I think people tend to care very deeply about not hurting other people's feelings. And they also tend to um, be conflict averse at like looking at conflict as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, disrespecting someone in conflict is about, or in communication is a bad thing. Um, talking, being mean or just talking down to someone is a bad thing, but you can have very great conflict with each other and then come to a resolution. And I think the biggest part of that is that when both parties come in with the intent of solving the problem versus trying to win, right? Like, and also coming in with the idea that every person that's coming into this is coming in with good intentions and not some sort of ulterior alternative agenda right? So even when I interact with someone and it's like weird or off or mean, or I think it's mean, right? I'm like, how can I look at this from a place where this person was totally coming from the right place? And if this person was totally coming from the right place, maybe something was going on in their life that day. Maybe something was really hard that day. And depending on the situation, I'd be like, did you intend that? Like, I don't, I know you and I know how wonderful you are. Like, it just, is everything okay? Because when you come from that place, most people are like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, it's just been like the worst day. I didn't mean to like say that, whatever, right? So you've communicated that something was off. You've given them the benefit of the doubt. You come in with good intentions. You assume good intentions and you're coming to a resolution together. So I think it's really about that. It's about um, not being afraid to speak up in a gentle, kind way with good intentions and assuming good intentions. Um, And yeah, I mean, I just, I think it comes down to that. I wish I had that. I wish I had that insight uh, many years ago. (laughs) But you're so right. And that's the conclusion that I ultimately ended up coming into is having the conversations from the perspective of I'm not here to prove myself right. I'm not here to prove you wrong. But more so, I'm just here to create a space and observe what took place and what can we learn from it. 
And I think how you even framed it as far as conflict, something not to avoid, but more so something to explore and dive deeper into. Because you are yeah. right. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't. You get to, it's a, a great you get thing. to assign meaning to it. Exactly. Exactly. And just like everything, it's a practice. The more you lean into it, the better you become, the more comfortable you become. The more you avoid it, the that like you're just you're just gonna create awkwardness and unfestered silence, like fe like festering silence and things of that nature. So the more you lean into it, mm -hmm. the better you become at it. And that's what I realized is ultimately kind of going back to how you and I even started this conversation is that it's a practice. It is. It's all a practice. It's a it's a daily practice, it's an attitude. How much how much of a role do you think attitude plays in all this? What do you mean by attitude? How do you define attitude? <laughs> I like the question to a question. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I guess it would for me, the attitude is all about the approach. Like, am I coming from a am I coming from a or the place that you're coming from? Is am I coming from a place of wanting things to get better or am I coming from a place where it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where I'm like things are just I know what's going to happen and I'm just trying to validate like the negativity that I might have in that moment and so that's what attitude is and I think it's a it's integral it's vital to the conversation right the approach which comes back to you assume good intention come in with good intention and usually good things will come of it and if they don't and they might not but if they don't you can be proud of how you showed up mm -hmm. and you can walk away and be like, you know, I didn't work out the way I did, but I showed up and I'm proud of how I showed up. And that's all I needed to do. Do you acknowledge that within yourself? The times uh, where, you, where you have accomplished something and you know for a fact that, okay, that felt good. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations where I felt like I want to create a relationship with somebody and have felt not the same reciprocation for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, a connection with someone like a mom's group, right. For my kids or a, you know, a business relationship or whatever it is and not felt um, that reciprocation and felt like, you know, that moment of like, Oh, reject me. Why don't they like me? That kind of thing. Right. And then said, you know what, like not everyone has space for everyone in their lives. Right. And I'll just, I'll, I, I came, I, I showed up, I was super nice. I'll be nice again. I'm not going to like take that and then just start reacting differently to them. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I've walked away and been like, I'm just happy with the way I showed up. I, I create good interactions with people wherever I go. I give people the best of me and I'm proud of myself for doing that. Even if it didn't manifest itself in the way I thought it would. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it for me, building off of your point, has to do with expectations. The reason why yes. I have felt differently after a particular encounter, like why are they not treating me the same way? I've given it all. They're giving it their half or just one one out of the many things that can contribute. It's expectations. Managing ah, my expectations, expectations, right? Thinking that, okay, if I did this, you have to do that. When the reality of the matter is like, I did this. You don't have to do anything. You have a choice in how you respond. And I've been I've been on both sides of the coin. I've been on the receiving end of that, and I've been on the giving end of that, right? I've been in situations where friendships vanished, where the person said, I can't believe you didn't say congratulations. I've been on the other end of that. 
why didn't you say that? Or why didn't you send me a gift when I sent you a gift? Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it, what I'm understanding as part of this journey, it's really about challenging my own assumptions and expectations. It's literally so when it comes to everything, true. like every, no every single thing. And the more that we are um, clear about not having like large expectations for giving, right? Whatever type of giving we give, um, the better we will be at not trying to succumb to other people's expectations. Mm -hmm. That goes back to those boundary settings, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we are respectful of someone else's boundary settings in a situation and saying, you know what, they're setting this boundary, they're not interested, or they don't have the time for this or whatever, and that's okay. I respect their ability to do that the better we'll be at doing it to others as well. And we're creating a, a real respect for expectation, setting those expectations and respecting boundaries. And I really love what you said about, um, I've been on both sides of the coin because it goes mm -hmm. back to what we were saying earlier, which is like, how do we learn um, things? And I think that sometimes it's a matter of just going through it ourselves. Like yes. we can very much judge something until it happens to us. And then we're like, oh, wow, I judged this <laughs> in an entire way. And now I'm being judged for it. It's almost mm. like, I feel like life does that on purpose. It just creates these little lessons whenever I judge. If I judge, I'm going to get judged for the same thing in some way. And so it's just little nudges that I feel like life gives you as a reminder. Like, don't judge that because it might come back and you'll be judged mm -hmm. for the same thing. So mm -hmm. and th this brings up a interesting point at least an interesting point for me and that's this whole concept of giving i remember i even asked a friend of mine and she sent me a um, pretty thorough response as far as how she gives like she's one of a handful of people that every time i interact with her she just gives like truly doesn't expect anything in return or whether you do anything with that or not she just she chose to give and i've been trying to understand that for quite some time and that's what's what is that mm. like, is that a feeling is it some other thing, like the desire to just give? Like, right. Do you feel like you're in that space where you're able to just give and not think no. about it through the lens of, okay, I did this. I hope they do something with it, or I hope that I get something in return, or I hope something produces out of that. Right. So when I just said no, I actually was answering a different question in my head. But um, <laughs> so you see how we had different interpretations already. Um, Communication. <laughs> yeah, right. It's incredible. Um, and I didn't sit to pause and let you finish. So I should have done that. Um, so there's kind of two different things there for me. One is I want to be a person that gives unconditionally, right, without any expectation of return. Why? Um because I believe that that's a really important part of creating a better world for all of us is if mm. we can all feel uh, like we can give without those expectations. Um, I think it's kind of one of the ingredients for happiness and peace and the ability to have a, a better world um, mm. because of it. If more people gave that way, I think we'd be living in a better world. So I, I for me, I want to do my part. Um the desire to want to do something versus the natural desire to want to do something is very different for me. I find just like you, there are certain things in my life that I just doesn't naturally come to me. I don't feel it inside my heart. Right. Um, I give in a lot of different ways, but not everything that I give, I feel it in my heart. Um, but what I've come to the conclusion is that the desire to want to do something is all, just as good as naturally wanting to do something. As long as you're mm -hmm. acting upon it, we, we like, 
we might not always have something that naturally comes to us, but if we work on it, I think that's wonderful, even if it doesn't feel natural, right? And sometimes I think it's better because you have to overcome an obstacle to do something that you know is good, even though you don't feel it right away. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one thing that I've had to work on is it's okay to not feel something naturally, but if the fact that you want it and you're working on it is awesome, good for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So just just want to distinguish that for people because some people are like, what's wrong with me? I'm a terrible person. I want to be this way, but I don't feel like I'm this way. If you're working on it, you're doing great, okay? Um, the next part of it is the idea that I try to give with the expectation and the framing and the attitude that mm-hmm. I hope that even if it doesn't necessarily directly uh, come back to me, that it will come back to somebody one day. The giving by example will perhaps move forward with that person in some other way in the future, right? And so um, we indirectly benefit by teaching others, by example, what giving looks like in various different circumstances, whether that's mentoring someone, whether that's holding the door for someone, whether that's giving, you know, to charity or, you know, helping out a friend, you might not get that back directly, but you hope that that moves on by your example. I like how you mentioned we, it reminds me of something similar and that's, uh, we teach others what we need to learn ourselves. Yeah. I think it's so profound when it comes to just projecting information or giving feedback. At least this is what I find myself in most of the time, teaching others what, I need to learn myself or what I'm learning myself. And the the part about desire as well, you and I think are similar when it comes to that. And that's I generally want good in the world, but it doesn't come to me as as just a habitual action. Mm -hmm. It's something that I, it's something that takes effort. Mm-hmm. It's something that I have to do or I'm choosing to do, but still it's it's putting the pen to paper and, and writing that thank you card. It's highlighting whoever it is that made a difference in my life. Yeah. It, it's not like one of those things where I just, okay, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. It's an actual conscious thought. And to me, that's also fascinating because it just shows that all of us are, we are wired differently. And to some people, what me a natural gift to another one and something that they have to work on and yeah. develop and vice versa, right? There are things that you probably do on a daily basis that might take me effort to, to do. And the same thing is true the other way around. Yes. I'm sure there are things that I do on a daily basis that might take you effort mm-hmm. to do. And so I think just acknowledging those th- two things alone, it, it kind of, I'm not going to say makes the process easier, but it certainly, for me, eliminates a lot of the complications I put along the way or things yeah, and- that I perceive as problems, right? Totally. Why am I not doing this? Am I not good enough? Do I not have the skills? Do I not have the ability? Or really, it's like, well, it's just not innate to you. Right. And then, and it goes back to the relationship conversation, which is like, once you can really embrace that as a concept and then someone kind of disappoints you in your relationship in some way, and you can say, you know what? maybe it doesn't mean that they don't care about me. It doesn't mean that they're, it's not reflective of their being as a person. It's just this one thing that they might not be that strong at, or they're trying to work on. And so I just 
have to just be understanding that we're not, not everyone's going to be perfect in like the way that I think they should be perfect and, and, and act in the way that I think they should. They're working on their own things, just like I'm working on my own things that I would expect, or I, I would hope to, to not, I don't want to say expect. I would um, hope that people would give me grace in those moments too. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating the images we create of other people, isn't it? In our it minds. is. Mm-hmm. And with a little bit more information, that image takes a different shape, becomes a different individual. Sometimes it yeah. to me is just mind blowing how right. one day, like we could start with one image and then ultimately change. And that's something that I've been curious is whether or not that's even possible to change the image that you have of someone. Do you think? Yeah, it is? I, I, I do. Um, I like everything that we've been talking about. It takes work. I think that the original image that we create of people is a hundred percent what we've been talking about, like all through business and all through, you know, in psychology is this idea of unconscious bias, right? We look at someone, they have specific strengths that we admire, or they look a certain way that we can relate to. And in that first 60 seconds that we someone we've created all of these assumptions about them and whether we like them or not and it's and that's why they say first impressions are so important it's because mm-hmm. of these unconscious biases right these ideas are that like well this person grew up in the same place i did so they must have all the same elements <laughs> that i do and therefore i like them very much right or they talk the same way as me or they dress this in ways that i admire and so um it's very hard to um to break that once we have that, but it's important to recognize it. And the more and more we learn about how we can recognize that, the more and more we can be critical about our assumptions from the beginning, right? Like this person seems lovely. I think that they're great. Like, it's interesting that I relate to them because of all of these similarities or all of these things that I admire. And then giving the space and time to not say like, I have completely now assumed this person for who they are and created this image, but rather let let them prove to me that they've that they've done those things or that they are this type of person. Um, that's kind of how I look at it now. I mean, I, 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 by no means am I like, have mastered unconscious bias. I feel like it is one of the most difficult things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, every step that we can take to being a little bit better than we were today is, is going to, is going to make, it's going to help us with that, with that issue. What do you find yourself conscious of when you do meet a person for the first time? Uh, like I know, like what I'm in doing a lot of, uh, you know, training and, and taking a lot of courses um, on unconscious bias. So like one of the main things that we do is just based on how someone looks, right? Mm. So if someone looks like me um, I, or looks like someone I love, right? Um, I tend to like them more, right? I, I use this uh, example um, in a conversation I had a few weeks ago where I was at a, my one of my son's, um, friend's birthday party and all the moms were there. And there was this one mom that I met and she looked exactly like my sister-in-law. And I was like, and I love my sister-in-law. I think she's one of the most awesome people. And so I like immediately was connected to her and she's a lovely person, but I I came back and I was like, you know, it's my husband. I said, Mark, you know, I really met this wonderful mom. And she kind of really looks like, she reminds me of your sister. I said, and he said, really? How, how, how are they the same? And I said, you know what? I actually don't think they're the same at all. They have not <laughs> one ounce of the same personality. She just looks like it. There's my unconscious bias right there. And so for me, it's really just, I'm focusing right now on looks and making sure that I'm not making unconscious biases just based on, on mm-hmm. looks. That's fascinating. I'm, I'm, I oftentimes I'm fascinated when it comes to situations like that happen. When someone looks like that or someone that you aspire to meet all of a sudden yeah. you meet, right? Yeah. 
there's also those times. And so it's just, it's mind blowing the stories that I create in my mind when it comes to those situations. And then over time, having to rewrite them and challenge yeah. that narrative that, okay, maybe this wasn't ultimately the case. And I think one other thing, and this is something that a friend of mine helped me see, he said that if given enough time, people will find what it, I don't know if it's people will find ways to disappoint you or you will find ways to be disappointed in. And I think it's the same exact thing, like this perception that oftentimes we as humans create of other people. And then through reality, it proves that, okay, it's not always what we imagine, right? Yeah. The first time we encounter, you might think like, okay, this person is literally perfect. They say exactly what I need to hear. They do exactly in X, Y, and Z way. And then over time, you just start to realize that, okay, they're at the end of the day, they're just a human being. Right. And that goes back to the mistakes. Yeah. And it goes back to the expectations we were talking about, right? Like you create this image of someone that that's perfect. And then you have the expectation that they'll be perfect and like align in all the ways that you think that they should because of the image you created. And then as they start to be their own person, you're like, wait, but you were supposed to be the person that I like imagined you to be. And it's like not fair to them. And it wouldn't be fair to us if someone was doing that to us either. And so it's really being conscious about those unconscious biases from the beginning. Speaking of reacting to information, if anyone who's listening to this chooses to find more information about who you are, what you are doing, where could they do that? Yeah, I mean, the best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Seagal Barnes, um, and I'm sure it will be spent, spelled out in the show notes or in the title. Um, I love to connect with people on there. That's my social media. That's my business card. So um, feel free to reach out, feel free to connect. And I'm always very happy to talk to people and learn more about their stories as well. And you mentioned you also host a podcast. I do. I host a podcast, Lawyers Who Lead. It's a podcast that really focuses on leadership in the law and interviews various attorneys that are doing excellent work. Um, And you can find that on all the major podcast platforms, Lawyers Who Lead. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. And thank you for connecting with me and having this conversation. I have found a lot of value in it. Me too. Being able to take a step back and pause and listen, right? And not have to respond, but also I think there's tremendous value when you when you are able to have space like this and just become observant of your own thoughts. How do I think? Why do I think certain things? If anything, I don't know what your experience with podcasts has been, but for me, it's been the best form of masterclass, period. 100%. Choose the people you have conversations with. You get to choose the topics. And sure, the topics take different forms throughout the conversation, but still, it, it's that this is where I think ultimately my education took a completely different turn is when I understood that this is my own individual path or pursuit of knowledge. I agree. First and foremost, thank you for the opportunity. It has been such a pleasure. I I really think you ask very thoughtful questions and I really appreciate uh, having a morning where I get to be reflective (laughs) like this with an amazing person like yourself. So thank you for that. You're doing great work. Um, And then in addition to that, yeah, I agree. I mean, the best form of learning is learning uh, other people's stories and recognizing there is no one right way. There are so many paths. There are so many ways. And by learning all the different ways that people can approach things, we get to pick and choose what's best for us. So this is a wonderful way to do that. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. 
If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.